Take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to take a pause in our series on Mark for a few weeks uh, and begin a mini-series that will lead us into the summer uh, called The Purpose of Crossroads. The Purpose of Crossroads. I think we have a slide that will kind of explain a little bit. And uh, you see the banners every single Sunday. We see them all the time, uh, hear about it. Uh, but what is our purpose? We have adopted at our church a fourfold purpose here at Crossroads. And like I said, uh, we see them on the banners, but I think sometimes it's just one of those things where we see it all the time and we subconsciously we don't really even read them, uh, don't really think about what they mean, what the purpose is. Uh, but our, our church, we have a fourfold purpose, and that is to exalt the Savior, uh, to engage the sinner, uh, to edify the saints, and then fourthly, to enlist uh, the servant. Uh, so we've decided for the next several weeks just to literally share, break those down, what they look like, uh, how that applies to us. Uh, what is our purpose? Do you even know why you exist today? Uh, what am I here for would be the question. Why am I here? Why am I living right now? Why am I existing in 2023? What is uh, my purpose? Uh, some choose to exist for themselves. Uh, some choose to exist for others. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to make sure that my life is all about others, which is good, but some will choose another path altogether. Uh, some will choose something greater. On April the 16th, 2007, an undergrad student arrived on the campus at Virginia Tech University and killed 32 students, injuring 17 others in the worst school shooting in our nation's history. One of those students that perished that day was a freshman from Hampton, Virginia, a local, and her name was Lauren McCain. She was one of the students that died that day. On her personal website, she gave this quote, and it'll be on the screen for you. The purpose and love of my life is Jesus Christ. And that's pretty impressive for a freshman incoming state college student. Uh, the purpose and love of my life is Jesus Christ. I don't have to argue religion, philosophy, or historical evidence because, here it is, I know him. Because I know Him. And when we think about our purpose, is our purpose to know Him? Is our purpose to know everything about Him, to know what He desires from my life? So I want to take just a few weeks and explain what is our purpose. Why do we exist as a church body? What is your purpose in life? First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, let's begin reading in verse number 19, we're going to eventually go back to verse 12 for context, but let's begin this morning at verse number 19. Uh, Paul says, what, rhetorical, uh, don't you know, know ye not, uh, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Because of that, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for its impact on our lives. Help us to see this morning that the reason that we exist, the number one reason that we are here is to exalt the Savior. The number one purpose that we have for living 
is to bring glory and honor to the king of the world. Uh, Lord, that is our primary purpose for our existence. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to uh, see uh, that your purpose for us is not a hidden thing. Lord, it's not something that you keep veiled from us. Lord, it's something that is very plain to see in the Scripture that you desire for our lives to bring you glory. Help us to see that personally. Help us to see that collectively, that as a church, we should exalt the Savior. We should bring glory and honor to the King of Kings. Lord, I ask that you please search our hearts. And if there's something in our hearts and our lives that hinders us from our purpose being fulfilled, Lord, help us to acknowledge it. Lord, help us to eliminate it. And Lord, so that we can bring you the ultimate glory that you truly deserve. Please cleanse my heart. Forgive me of any sin unconfessed. Help me to be clean as I speak your word to your people. And Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they've never been introduced or they've never encountered the King of Kings, Lord, help them to have that encounter today. Help them to acknowledge you today as the King of the world. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down, number one, the consideration. The consideration. As Paul is writing to this church, I want want you to understand the context of who he's writing to. Corinth was a very sinful city and a very wicked place full of immorality, focused on primarily sexual immorality. And we see this, and when Paul writes to the church, they are spiritually weak and immature. In chapter number 3, in verse 1 and 2, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I would love to talk to you like you're mature. I would love to talk to you as your spiritual giants, but I can't because you're babies. Just babies. Verse 2, he said, I fed you with milk and not with meat. Comparing the Word of God to the milk and the meat. I would love to give you those deep, philosophical, theological truths, those great doctrines of the faith, but you can't handle it. He said, I've given you milk, but not meat, because you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. You're not able right now, currently, presently. You could not handle knowing those deep truths. And Paul was dealing with people who had received Christ, who were believers, but they hadn't taken their relationship with Jesus any further than that. They still believed that they could live the way that they'd always lived, the way that they'd always been taught, the way that their society drove them, uh, immorality, sexual perversion. We can still live that way and have Jesus too. We can do both at the same time. We can just add Jesus to the way that we are and it'll all work out in the end. How many of you know that that's not going to work well? How many of you know that that's, uh, there's going to be a struggle There's going to be a battle that takes place, a war that's there. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, because of that, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. There should be a distinct difference between the way that we live and the way the rest of the world lives. Uh, The way that we function, the way that we make decisions and determinations based on the way that the rest of the world makes their decisions. But when he arrives at this passage of Scripture, he gives us an analogy about a temple and explains it with their body. It ties the two together. 
Paul uses an example of this temple to teach them three very simple yet profound principles. And I want to go through them one by one this morning. Number one is found in verse 12. And here's the principle. It'll be on the screen for you uh, to write down in your notes. Here it is. Number one, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Uh, Look at verse number 12. He says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. The wording here is very significant. He says lawful and expedient. Lawful means what's allowed, what's accessible to me. Bottom line, we would say what we can do. Uh, the things that we can do. But then he contrasts that and says, uh, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. The word expedient means uh, helpful or profitable. Uh, the things that would help me. Uh, you think about our life. Just because it is allowed, just because you can do it, doesn't mean that it is good for you. And we all understand that. Uh, on a basic principle, we all understand that. Uh, let me visualize that this morning. I love... Cadbury eggs. I love, with a passion, Cadbury eggs. How many of you have never had a Cadbury egg? Anybody? Oh, my goodness. All right, and the problem is our music team is raising their hands. That's the problem. They cannot truly know how to worship Jesus until you had a Cadbury egg. Pastor Tim, we need to fix that, okay? Uh, But a Cadbury egg. Uh, it just takes you to a different spiritual plane. I'm telling you, uh, you can worship. Your worship is more pure and in tune, all because of a Cadbury egg. And uh, y'all know I'm, I'm messing, all right? Uh, but a Cadbury egg, I love these. They take me back to a childhood. My dad would buy these by the case when we were growing up. Uh, you don't get this body by loving salad, okay? Uh, and eating salad all your life. Uh, but dad would buy these by the case after Easter. Some of you have learned this. After Easter, you go and buy these on discount, and you get as many as you can uh, to where you look like an addict, all right? So that's, that's what you're, we're going for, okay? Uh, but Cadbury eggs. But how many of you would understand this is literally chocolate with a taste of heaven on the inside, all right? Hollowed out chocolate with that nougat uh, on the inside, that cream that's just amazing. And, uh, you know, you try your best to savor every single bite. Uh, but how many of us know and understand just because I can eat four or five of these at a time doesn't mean that anybody should eat four or five of these at a time. One is enough. But just because I can doesn't mean that I should. Just because it is allowed doesn't mean that it will be helpful for me. Just because I can do it doesn't mean that I should. And there are a lot of things that we could insert right here. Just because I can cheat on my spouse doesn't mean that I should. Just because I can speak ill of my friends doesn't mean that I should. Just because I can go without reading my Bible or be inconsistent in my walk with the Lord, just because I can drive as fast as I want to, doesn't mean that I should. Doesn't mean that. Uh, There has to be a barometer 
for how I live. There has to be a guide. And Paul gives that very simple reasoning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 31. And we know the verse. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, what's the indicator? What's the guide? What's the barometer? Do all to the glory of God. And here's the question that I would ask, and it'll be on the screen for you. Do the decisions I make and the actions I take bring glory to God? Go ahead and flip that slide there, guys. Do the decisions I make and the actions I take bring glory to God? And that's a broad statement, a broad question, but let's determine that. The things that you did this past week, did they bring God glory? The things that you did on the way to church this morning, uh, the things that you thought this past week, the things that you said to co-workers this past week, did it bring glory to God? Uh, let's make it even more personal this morning, all right? The worship that I just performed in the last 30 minutes, did it bring glory to God? Uh, the worship, uh, the songs, yes, the songs did, but what about the attitude of my heart? And see, because God doesn't look on the outside, remember, God looks on the inside. Uh, do the attitudes that I have, do the things that I say, the actions I take bring glory to God? Uh, there may be parts of you that want to do the things that don't please God, uh, but we have to be willing to set those aside for something that is greater. Richard Wombrand said this, Friendship with Jesus is costly. Faith alone saves, and I'm thankful that by grace through faith, faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Did you get that? Uh, faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. And here's what he said. It is accompanied by great sacrifices for Christ's sake. Remember, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, it's easy to say I'm following Jesus, but not many people want to pick up the cross to follow Jesus. If saving faith is never alone. Paul then tells him that he wouldn't be brought under the power and influence of any. Verse 12, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I will not allow myself to be controlled by something else. I'm not going to put anything in my life that is going to cause me to lose control of who God designs me to be, who God wants me to become, who God designed to bring glory to Him. I'm not going to put anything in my life that would cause me to lose my ability to do that. Uh, can I just be transparent this morning? That's why I personally have chosen not to drink alcohol. That's why I personally have chosen not to do drugs. That's why I personally have decided I'm not going to put anything in my body that causes me to lose control of who God desires me to be because all of those things cause me to lose control. Oh, pastor, it's not that much. But if it's some, it's more than enough. See, Paul says, I'm not going to allow anything to cause me to lose control to where I'm not bringing glory to God just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Uh, then the second principle this morning, he says, just because you have it doesn't make it yours. Now look at verse 13. He says, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. 
Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Just because you have it doesn't make it yours. The first church struggled with meats and the meats and the debate between do we eat this meat that has been previously offered to idols? And they were focused on that. Romans chapter 14, Paul deals specifically with that issue and says, should you or shouldn't you eat it? And there were restrictions based on the law of Moses that told them what they could and couldn't partake in. And these new believers struggled with that. And he's talking about ownership here. And here's the truth. Right? The body that we have doesn't belong to us. The body that you and I have that God has entrusted to us isn't really ours. It doesn't belong to us. You know how I know that? Because your body will come to an end one day and you have no say-so. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Him. It belongs to God. And that is why we should take care of what God has given to us. That's why we should take care of our bodies. Uh, It would do all of us some good once in a while to say no more. It would do all of us good every once in a while to push back from the table. I say, Pastor, that's where I just tuned you off right there. Uh, We're done. Next Sunday's message. Next Sunday. Uh, But let me show you 1 Timothy 4 verse 8. For bodily exercise profiteth little. Now, a lot of us, a lot of us would say, Pastor, that's my life verse right there. Uh, That's why I shouldn't exercise. That's that's why I don't exercise. Uh, Because it profits little. But here's the thing. He said it profits little. It does have an impact. It does make a difference. And now, he gave the comparison. Hey, it profits little But godliness is profitable unto all things. There's the contrast. But he said it does profit. It might not be as much as you and I would want it to. But it does have some lasting benefit. Exercise may delay the inevitable, but there are positive benefits to being healthy. Say, pastor has become a health coach now. No, uh, it's not. We should not live as though the focus of our lives is where am I going to eat today? And that's just the truth. Uh, We should not allow what we put into our mouth to control how we live. Romans 14, I mentioned a minute ago, verse number 7 and 8. Paul said, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. So here's the question. How would your life be altered if you made a decision to honor what belonged to the Lord each day? How would your life be altered if you and I made a decision to honor what belonged to the Lord each day? What would change? In that same passage, Paul says, Romans 14 verse 12, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Say, Pastor, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not responsible for your Cadbury eating habits. I'm thankful for that. And I am too. But at the same time, we're not responsible for one another, but we are responsible for ourselves. I am responsible for this body. This body. And if God is going to hold us accountable for how we live, then how should we live? We should live as every decision we make 
we ask the question, does this bring God glory? Does this exalt the Savior? What I'm doing, how I'm living, how am I presenting my body to him? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do you know that sacrifice involves struggle? Sacrifice involves pain. Sacrifice involves a death. And that sacrifice for us is a death to self. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Just because you have it doesn't make it yours. And then thirdly, just because you're alive now doesn't mean that you will be then. Just because you're alive now doesn't mean that you will be then. Look at verse number 14. Paul continues the conversation regarding our bodies, but he makes it spiritual and talks about the future. Verse 14, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. There's the contrast. Hey, he resurrected his son from the dead. And one day there will be a resurrection of the body for us. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. God raised up Jesus' body from the grave and will raise our bodies at the rapture of the church. He elaborates on that in chapter 15, verse 44. He says, it is sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. In the verse 49, he says, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption nor incorruption, uh, inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Think about what an awesome day that's going to be. The fact that we will get to see Jesus and be like he is. But here's the sad truth. Not everyone will experience that. That is the stark reality of where we live. Just because you're alive today doesn't mean that you will be alive then. So, Pastor, what do you mean? I thought eternity is forever. It is. But the Bible calls those who die without Christ, he calls that a death. Remember in Revelation, he says this is the second death. You might live forever in a place the Bible calls hell, but the Bible calls that place a place of death, not a place of life. Death. Death. And there are two groups of people alive today. Saved, those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who have received him as their personal Savior. And there are people the Bible calls lost. Lost. And those are people who don't have Jesus as their Savior. They don't have the confidence within themselves that they have ever placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question this morning is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a time when you place your faith and trust in him as your Savior? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There must be a time in your life where you recognize your spiritual need of salvation. You recognize that you are a sinner lost and undone without Christ. And what he did on the cross is for you and it's for me. And when we place our faith and trust in what he did, and we ask him to apply that to our lives, 
the Bible says that he gives us eternal life. He gives us. Say, Pastor, what do I have to do to earn it? What do I have to do to deserve it? Not a thing because it's not anything you can provide. All you have to do is believe. You have to believe. Uh, You have to receive what he's done. The consideration. The consideration. Uh, Paul says, I just want you to consider the fact that what you have is not your own. And that you are bought. You don't belong to you. And Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do something. Make sure that you know that you're going to be alive then, not just alive now. And then he gives us contrast. Number two, the contrast. In verse 15 through 18, Paul doubles down on uh, the connection we have in Christ, but he contrasts that with our old life. And he talks about those who are secured in Christ. Those who are secured in Christ, letter A. In verse 15 and 17, he says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Now, verse 17, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. This relationship with Jesus that he talks about, uh, Paul wanted them to remember their sanctity and union in Jesus. Uh, That purity, that pure relationship that is expected because the relationship with Jesus is not an open relationship. Let me say that again. The relationship with Jesus is not an on-again, off-again, open-closed relationship. It's a secured relationship. It's a closed relationship. Uh, How was marriage originally designed and presented in Genesis chapter 2? Was it designed and presented in an open manner or a closed manner? Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Not open. Closed. Say, Pastor, why are you you talking about this? Look at what Jesus said. Mark chapter 10 verse 7 through 9. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Just as your marriage was designed to be closed, never designed to be open to include other people, your relationship with Jesus isn't designed that way either. What did God say? What did Jesus say? What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Uh, Can I let you in on a secret that is going on in our culture and our society today? There is a growing group of people who believe that marriage should be open. That your marriage bed should be open. That your relationship, if you want to have other people, you want your marriage to be open to include other people, that that is okay. Can I tell you, that is not biblical. That is not a Bible principle. That is anti-God. Remember, for everything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit. And when we look at the Bible, we see that that is supposed to be a closed union. Marriage is a picture of a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. The relationship that he desires to have with us is a closed, secured relationship. One that is not open for other things, other devices. But how faithful are we in our relationship with him? Is it one of purity and commitment and contentment? 
See, the context is sexual sins here, but it can be made broad in the sense that when we sin, we're choosing to love something or someone other than Jesus. I love what Vance Havner said. A wife who is 85% faithful to her husband is not faithful at all. There is no such thing as part-time loyalty to Jesus Christ. No such thing. You're either faithful to Jesus or you're not faithful to Jesus. There is no middle ground. So he talks about those who are secured in Christ. And then the second group he talks about is those who are sold in sin. Sold in sin. Look at verse 16 and 18. I'll come back to that quote in a minute, guys. The flip side is when I choose to share my relationship with others that I open myself to damage that comes because of it. Look at verse 16. What? Asking again, rhetorical question. Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Own body. We know in a society that is focused on sexual sin of all the disease or damage that are connected. But what about the spiritual damage that can be done when I'm not pure in my relationship with Him? What about the guilt and the shame that comes with it? What about the loss of closeness, the lack of trust, all of those feelings? All of them could be avoided if I would simply maintain a pure and secured relationship. With Jesus Christ. What did Paul say? How do we avoid that? Verse 18, he says, flee fornication. Uh, we see 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If it looks like it's going to draw you away from him, stay away from it. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. There will always be a struggle within us. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. If you've not done any research on Bonhoeffer's life in Germany around the time of World War II, he is somebody that you should familiarize yourself with. Great Christian. He said this, the pursuit of purity is not about the suppression of lust, but about the reorientation of one's life to a larger goal. It's not about just saying no. It's about saying there's something bigger. There's a greater purpose. I wrote this down. Here's the quote. Being pure in Christ isn't just saying no to sin. It's about saying yes to Him. It's not just saying no to sin. It's saying yes to Jesus. Because I can say, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm not going to do anything else and not draw closer to Christ. But when I say, I'm not going to sin because I desire to be close to Him, it draws me to Him. There is a difference. See, I can unplug a lamp from the, uh, from the power source and from the wall outlet and I can walk around with that lamp and never have any light because it's not connected into anything else. But when I plug into another power source, that's when I get the light. That's when I become what I was designed to become. When I connect into the right 
source. The consideration, consider that you don't belong to you. Consider the contrast. There are some who are secure. There are some who are sold in sin. And then lastly this morning, we see the challenge. Here's where it comes to us. Here's how it applies to us. If I consider that my choices that I make affect my relationship, my contrast, that my flesh and my spirit, then how am I supposed to pursue him? Number one, we need to have the right perspective. The perspective that's mentioned. Look at verse number 19. Original text this morning. Paul asked the question, what? Hey, don't you understand this? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Uh, Paul asked that rhetorical question. Don't you know this? Don't you understand this? If your body is His, then your body is the residence of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. Colossians 1.27 To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, how you live your life will all come down to your perspective. Who is the owner of your life? Because if I look at my life like it's mine, then all of my decisions will be carried out to please me. But if I look at my life like it's not mine and it's actually His, then all of my decisions will reflect How does it please Him? What brings Him glory? What is best for Him? What exalts Him? What lifts Him up? See, the purpose of our church is to exalt the Savior, a church family that recognizes that we're His, that we belong to Him, that the decisions can't be what's best for me. It has to be what's best for Him, what exalts Him, what lifts Him up. That has to be the way that we live. It can't be about what's best for my family. It has to be what's best for his family. What's best for him. You know, people may say, well, pastor, when you make a decision, what's behind that? What, what drives that decision-making process? Are, are you thinking about, uh, you know, you make that decision. What's best for you? Are you thinking what's best for your family or the staff or uh, the church, even as a broad sense? No, the decision-making has to be what is best for Jesus. What brings him the most glory? What exalts the Savior to the most of our ability? That has to drive the decision. See, it has to be what's best for Jesus. It has to be what's best for His church. Uh, not my friends, not my circle of influence, uh, not my family, not for me, not what I want. It's what does He want. Will this decision bring people closer to Him or push people away? Will it draw people to the Savior or will it draw them away? Remember Jesus said in John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw people to myself. But what was John the Baptist's contrast to that? John the Baptist said in John 3 verse 30, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. To lift up Jesus means that I have to push me down. So that he can be elevated, exalted above all else, it means that I have to be humbled. I have to come with a spirit of humility and and not pride and say, Lord, it's what you want, not what I want. It's what exalts you. It doesn't exalt me. It's so that you can be seen and where I'm not seen. It exalts him. Do you want people to see 
you or do you want people to see Jesus? That's the question. The perspective. And then lastly, this morning in verse 20, the priority. Look at verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. You've been paid for. You've been purchased. You have been redeemed, church. You've been set free from sin. Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. By ownership. By default, the meaning of my life, if for that meaning to be accomplished, it has to shift focus on Jesus. My priorities have to change. My, I belong to Him by creation and redemption. I belong to Him. And we'll be focused on lifting up Jesus, not on lifting up self. Lifting up Jesus and only Jesus. If we understand who we belong to, if we understand that lifting up Jesus is a priority, then that becomes my focus rather than lifting up myself. See, in the course of our lives, you and I will only ever lift up one or two people. You'll either lift up you or you'll lift up Jesus. There's nobody else. In the course of your and my life, we will lift up either yourself, myself, or you'll lift up Jesus. And see, the one that we lift up should be the one who paid the bill. You are bought with a price. You and I couldn't pay that price, by the way. The one that we lift up should be the one who paid the bill. And you and I were not capable of paying our sin debt. But Jesus did and is and forever will be. It's his. But is that our focus? See, you and I can focus on our life or we can focus on him. Or we can look at who we are, who he's created us to be. But we can also allow the circumstances around us to draw our attention. And you know what happens? When we focus on us, he becomes out of focus. But when we focus on him, the things and circumstances of our life become out of focus. See, our life is a glorified mess. A mess. It's garbage. It's trash. But he is everything. He's beautiful. I have a picture that I want to show you, two pictures this morning that I want to show you. And I hope this doesn't get me in trouble, but it goes with the illustration. Uh, I want you to see what's in focus this morning. Guys, you can put that focus. Uh, put this picture. All right. Now, this is exactly what you think it is, okay? This is the area of our yard where our dog visits frequently. You can see there's no grass there. And there are objects there, all right, that have to be removed from time to time so that others don't defile their shoes, all right? But the focus is all there on the nastiness. But in the background, there's a beautiful tulip. Two, actually. And if we flip that picture and we look at the tulip, our focus is drawn there. It's the exact same placement, just from a different perspective. See, all of my focus now is on the beauty and not the waste. Now all of my attention is drawn to what's in front of me, what's beautiful, what's pretty, not on what's in the background. See, if we flip that picture back, this is the way that when I focus on my life, this is what I see. I see all the bad. I see all the stuff that's going on in my life. Man, I hate my job. And 
uh, man, nobody likes me there. Uh, man, people at church are annoying. And uh, I see all these different bad things. My kids won't behave. And my wife uh, wants a way out. And uh, I just, I, I want to escape. All I see is the bad. But in the background, there's something beautiful. But when I focus on what's beautiful, all of the ugly is in the background now. That's not my focus anymore. When I focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, when I exalt the Savior, He becomes in focus. When I'm lifting Him up, I'm focused on Him. I'm no longer looking at my job and my priorities and I'm looking at my troubles and my trials and the hardship. Now I have changed my focus and I'm focusing on lifting Him up. I'm not lifting me up. Because if I lift me up, I see all the problems and the trials and the circumstance. I see all that. But when I choose to exalt the Savior. Amen. Hey, church, when we choose to exalt the Savior, all of the little skirmishes and problems that we face aren't in focus anymore. Hey, when I choose to lift him up, you know when we get in, in trouble? When we say, Jesus, I'm going to set you down for a little while. And I'm going to pick me up. That's when we have problems. That there would be no schism in the body, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Paul's writing that same church here, by the way. But when I say, Jesus, I'm going to work on lifting you up and I'm going to keep my focus on you. What did Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 6? Mine eyes have seen the king. Mine eyes have seen the king. Everything else changed when Isaiah's focus was on the king. And when we focus on the beauty that's found in Him, when we focus on Him, all of the other stuff, hey, it's all going to work out because my attention is drawn to Him. Nothing else. I'm going to put my focus where it should be. Church, where it's designed to be. When I choose to exalt the Savior, exalt Him, it means that I have to take second place. It means that I have to be pushed down. But at the end of our life, the only thing that matters, purpose. Did your life exalt the Savior? Church, legacy, testimony, the number doesn't matter. Let me say that again. The number, how many people do you have in church today? The number doesn't matter. Did we exalt the Savior? Because we're prone to look at this when what we should be doing is looking at this. Am I lifting him up? Am I exalting him? The way that we're living our lives. If you're going to exalt Jesus this week, it won't be by accident. Are you intent? Are you devoted, determined this week for your life to exalt Jesus? Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. Let me just ask you two questions really quickly. Number one, very simple. Is your life devoted to Jesus? Has there been a time in your life where you've placed your faith and trust in Christ? Do you know if you die that you'd be on your way to heaven? Are you convinced of that truth? Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I don't even know what that is. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. I don't have that confidence. Please pray for me. I would love to pray for you so that you have that confidence before you die that you will know where you're going to spend eternity. 
Pastor, I don't know that right now, but I would at least ask you while no one's looking around, uh, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, that you would please pray for me. And the way that I know who to pray for this morning is that you would simply slip up your hand. You can put it right back down, but I'd like to know. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand down. Somebody else say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Please pray for me. That's me. Uh, my life. I don't know that my sins have been forgiven. I don't know if I died. I'd be on my way to heaven. I'm just not sure. Is that you today? Could I pray for you this morning? Before we move any further, before we sing a song, play a note. Pastor, that's me. Please pray for me. Is that you? I don't want to miss you. But I do want to pray for you. Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I know where I'm going when I die. Please pray for me. Is that you? Is that you? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, my life, I won't ask you to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. But maybe that's your testimony. Pastor, my life is exalting me, not Jesus. My life is made up of lifting up myself, my circumstances, and not exalting the Savior. Maybe that's you. Hey, church. A church is made up of individuals. And church decisions are made up of collective individual decisions. Are you, you, today, I'm not asking about next week or next month or next year or last week. Today, are you exalting Jesus today? Is your life living? Are you living to exalt Him? Are you making decisions that promote Him over you? Is that your testimony? If it's not, would you take just a moment and talk to Him about that? Would you ask him to show you what needs to change, what you need to do, so that your testimony, your legacy, your life can exalt him, bring glory to him? And maybe that's something that you'd like to talk to someone about. Our personal workers are already in place this morning. We have some in the front, some in the back. And if you'd like to speak to one of our personal workers, maybe you would uh, right now just kind of look and take a glance and see where they are so you know where they are. Some behind you, some in front of you. They're wearing a badge this morning that says, how can I pray for you? That is by design. We want to help you take that next step, whatever it is, however we can lead you. I'll be right down front in just a moment. Love to talk to you, pray with you, whatever your next step needs to be. We want to help you in any way that we can. Whatever God leads you to do today, we want to help you with that. Father, please bless this time of invitation. Lord, as folks pray at their seat, maybe some would come to the altar this morning. Maybe some would talk to a personal worker today in front or behind them and uh, would get that settled, Lord, a spiritual need, a desire that they have. Maybe someone needs to take a next step or uh, maybe uh, take a step with you or uh, maybe you've convicted them in some area of their life that needs to be corrected. Lord, please do a work in our hearts today. Help us to search our hearts and, uh, Lord, show us if our life is exalting the Savior. Lord, it's time for us to be serious about what we claim to be. It's time for us to get serious about our walk with you. Our days and time are limited. Lord, I ask that you please help us to see the purpose of our life is to exalt the Savior. Lord, help us to fulfill our purpose. Help us to lift you up. And Lord, that one or two that raised their hand, Lord, help them to talk to you this morning. Help them to get it settled today where they know that they'll spend eternity with you. Lord, please bless the invitation as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. Pastor Tim's going to lead us in a song, Yet Not I, But Christ Through Me. That should be the story of our life. As we sing that, if you need to come to the altar, the altar's open. Personal workers are all around you. Let's do business with the Lord today. If you need to take a step, let's do it right now. Let's do it together as a church family. Let's worship the Lord together. Let's sing this morning. I'll be right down front if you need to talk to